Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a good day so far. You know, we're uh, at the assembly here. We plan on for the next today and the next five weeks to be speaking about the institution of marriage. And, you know, marriage is the very first institution that Yahweh made in the beginning. There was a... I would start off by saying I was so, I'm so glad I was born a man. Before you think that I've said something way wrong, let me explain. As far as I'm concerned, there couldn't be anything better than being a man who has a deep and abiding friendship and relationship with a wonderful woman. You know, the very crowning jewel of our creation was woman. First he created the man, and then he said, I think I can do better. (laughs) And what a wonderful creature he made. But as men, we don't always understand them. but they sure make life interesting. And I mean that in all different ways. But what a blessing they truly are. And as a side, I would mention that the Sabbath was actually made a little later than she was. And that the very first sunset and the very first sunrise that these two handsome, beautiful people saw was bringing in the Sabbath day. I said that was an aside. I kind of have an affinity for this day, much above all others. Some thoughts that I have today are not my thoughts, but are from the book entitled Better Love Now. I would encourage any of you to read that written by Tommy Nelson. Marriage is, if it's done right, is the greatest of all relationships. When it's done wrong, it can be filled with misery, pain, despair, and total devastation of all that you've planned for this life. One thing I'll say right off is that we are all flawed individuals. You know, sometimes as men, we think that we're not the flawed one, but I'm here to tell you that we have all, we're all sons and daughters of Abe, Adam. We're all, hopefully we're all sons and daughters of Abraham as well. But we are definitely all sons and daughters of Adam. And so, as Paul wrote in Romans, through one man, sin came into the world. And so we are not perfect individuals. 
Your spouse is not perfect and neither are you. So keep that in mind when you talk with them or spend time with them and give them a little leeway and a little mercy when you judge a situation that will invariably come into your home. You know, the good book speaks of foundations. It speaks of building your house upon a rock and not upon the sand that would be washed away. Everyone's rock and foundation, obviously, is Yahweh and his son. So without a foundation or belief in Yahweh, we are cut loose from wisdom and knowledge. You know, if a man is not tethered to Yahweh and what he expects from us, then he is cut off. He's not sure who he is. He's not sure who you are. He doesn't understand what government should be, what morality is, what a real man should be or what being a husband, or what being a wife should be. And it goes on and on. Without that understanding from this book, you will always be at odds with Yahweh and his creation. But if you build your marriage upon Yahweh, upon his word and his will, then your marriage will very likely flourish. You and your spouse also have to come to the understanding that in your home, you will honor and worship Yahweh, the creator of all things, and be in touch with his son, Yeshua, so that we can be forgiven and have our salvation at the end of the age. I'm going to go through about seven things here. And one of them is, I've just been speaking of, treat the most important things as the most important things. And that is that we have to have our home in line with Yahweh and have him as our foundation. You know, marriage does not stand still. It either, it's either getting better or it's getting worse. Not, and I'd like for you to think about that real strongly because all of us that are married need to remember that, that a marriage does not stand still. It either is improving or it's regressing. So our first priority in any marriage is what is that person and your person individual time with Yahweh you know as a husband or wife your spiritual life is the foundation out of which everything else flows so make it a priority to be in your Bible every day and in prayer to Yahweh each day 
And so as I read today, as I go through some of these things, you know, you can make your marriage work without these things to some extent, but we have to understand that we are in subjection to our Heavenly Father through His Son. And so all of our lives should be centered in, in the area that He supervises. So what part of life does He supervise? He supervises every part of your life. Each and every day, He should be the center of who we are how we live, how we interact with others. So I would just say, I want y'all to take notes today. And you don't, I'd like for you to rate yourself from one to five. How are you, follow, how are you doing on this priority in your life? And when I say rate yourself, I don't mean rate your spouse. Just rate, your, rate yourself and just find out from one to five what is your commitment to Yahweh. And uh, this is not something you have to report at the end of the class. But from poorly to very good, I'd like for you to just kind of in your mind decide or write it down and keep score here. The next thing that I'd like to discuss is your friendship. You and your wife, you and your husband's friendship. You know, we all understand love, fervent love, passionate love, all these things, but what about our friendship? You need to work every day on being friends. And be so very careful how you speak to each other. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk a little more about that, about communication a little later. But, you know, there's some things that once you say them, you cannot take them back. And there's some things that are so harmful that it will, it's almost impossible to overcome. So be careful how you speak to each other. And don't be like one husband that said... My wife and I was happy for 20 years, and then we met each other. We want to be friends even after we meet each other. You know, marriage, in every marriage, there's always a low-grade fever ready to break out. You know, with two people who are not perfect living in close proximity, it doesn't take much for a low fever to turn into some major infection. But keep your, your friendship a priority. There was one couple that to make their life a little more interesting and a little more friendly, uh, he would call his wife, my lady, and she would call her husband, my Lord. And that's the old English tradition. And it said that helped to keep their friendship alive and well. And I'm sure that didn't always work, but you know, whatever you find that does work, well, let's all do that. One counselor after 30 years said that 
When a marriage ends up lifeless and cold, the reason is not all that complicated. He said as he had to sit and talk to these couples, it might take an hour, but most of the time it took even less time to find out what the real problem was. The problem usually was that one spouse or both were not being kind, not listening, not paying attention, or not being respectful and not being courteous. It's always the little things. Most of the time, people don't argue about the big things. You know, somebody's deathly sick. They usually don't argue about that. Or somebody that uh, they love fervently pass away. They don't argue about that. But it's the little things in life, the little irritants in life that seem to, at some point in time, overwhelm us and make us what we should not be. I read a story in one of the books I was looking at this week and it said that uh, the author, he was in a restaurant, him and his wife, and they were eating lunch and a woman came in and said she was nice looking, she was dressed well, she uh, seemed to be anything that a man would want as a wife, and she sat down to, by herself, and, uh, but a little later, some, her husband evidently showed up, and he looked kind of frazzled and tired, like he had had a hard day, and he sat down across from her, and without even a comment or a greeting and she began to they ordered and then she began to ha try to have conversation with this man and she spent uh, several minutes you know saying this and that and he would just kind of nod or not even look at her just kind of kept looking at his food and after a while she just gave up and uh, sat there and ate her food, and they stayed in silence for the rest of the meal. And uh, when the heat, they got up and left before the other couple, but he said, how sad that after these years, the woman is still trying, and the man is not responding at all. And that may not be in your marriage. It could be the other way. But it's something to think about. How are we reacting on an everyday level? Are we being kind? Are we being listening? Are we being the kind of people that would be... Uh, if you were trying to attract this woman, for example, if, if you're speaking from the man's side, would you act that way now? If you're trying to attract someone, but after 20 or 30 years, maybe or maybe just a few. If you act like this, what do you expect will happen at some point in time? So I asked this question, would you be able to keep a friend as a friend if you are rude to them, you never listen to them, pay no attention to them, 
and or disrespect them. So just any other friend that you have, just think about who's your best friend besides your wife. Who is that? And then apply this same scenario to them. If you never listen, but you're rude, you pay no attention, and you disrespect them any time, how many friends would you have? So it comes down to having a friendship with your spouse built on courtesy, respect, listening, and spending time, being kind. As one woman said, she said, I don't feel heard. And that's, that's usually not good when your, your wife tells you, I don't feel like I've been heard. I have a book in my library, the title of it is Talk to Me Like I'm Someone You Love. And I would guarantee you that every person in this room has had that experience that we've been talked to less than what we should have been. And we've all done that. But talk to me like I'm someone that you love. You know, sometimes we are better friends with others than with our own spouse. But may that never be your case. So on a scale of one to five, rate yourself on being a friend to your spouse. And again, don't rate your spouse, rate yourself. So rate yourself from being just strangers on one side or best friends on the other. And quality time together. It's impossible to maintain a friendship or a marriage without quality time and priority. So be diligent and creative and find as many ways as you can where that y'all can spend time together. You know, we have to have time to uh, talk, to listen, and to love. You know, take drives together. Do a date night often. I find that that's always interesting to have a date night where you have actually enough time. If you don't act like the guy I just told you about, you have time to sit and talk back and forth without anyone being, uh, it's just you and her or you and him. So you do that or take a weekend or a short trip without the kids. I might put out that. You might do that without the kids. And you need to find you another couple that has kids and y'all can trade out, you know, so that they can keep your kids and then you can keep their kids later on. But that's so very important that you spend time together, that you do things together. One of the things that somebody pointed out to me one time was uh, your cell phone is a great tool. Call home, sometimes not to ask a bunch of questions or get help or whatever. Call home 
and just tell your wife you love her and you just was thinking about her or your husband, as it were. So use your cell phone or just call and ask them, what can I do? I'm on my way home. Can I stop and get you something? I mean, it's pretty simple to do all that, but we forget to do all that. We just assume that they're doing what they do and I do what I do, but sometimes it's good for them to know that you're just thinking about them. But on a scale of one to five, how would you rate yourself as uh, being, which one are we on here? Being attentive or being, you know, doing things together. Almost never are you doing it just right. fourth thing we talk about today is the direction of your marriage. You know, couples that last and thrive and do well together have a sense of where they're going, that they're headed someplace. So I ask, I'd like to ask you, do you feel like that your marriage and where you're, do you have an idea where you want to go? Like one man said one time, if you don't know where you're going, it's hard to get there. And that's so very true that in a marriage is the same thing. If you don't know where you're trying to get to, it's pretty hard to wind up there. But people that know that, they know they want to accomplish something as a couple. And that Yahweh has brought them together to make a difference for his kingdom. Not just to have a, a new car, a house, all these kind of things. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. A great job, but what else? Where are you headed with this? What are you doing for the kingdom of Yahweh? What are you doing for other people? You know, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to get locked up in our own self. I do this quite a bit. I just, I like being by myself a lot. I mean, I, I'm not as friendly as I should be. Ask Joanne, she can tell you this. Or my family probably thinks that sometimes. But I enjoy my own time to, alone sometimes. And, uh, but we have, to be, we have to be joined as a unit, as a family. We have to decide where we want to go with ourselves. And not just uh, do what we want to do. There's all kind of things that we can do to volunteer in our community, to volunteer for others. And I'm so proud of the members of this assembly for the many things that they have, that they do here, that they help out others that need help, that are, that are not being blessed in some particular way at some particular time. And uh, Matthew 6 and 31 Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Notice what he said. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then notice, and all these things shall be yours as well. 
So make your priorities with Yah. He said, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness means your righteousness, actually. Seek his kingdom and your righteousness. Be righteous people. Be honorable people. Be people of integrity. That shit goes a long way in a marriage, too, by the way. That someone that can be trusted, someone that, that they don't doubt everything that you say. But we have been promised that if you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things, these, these, a home, a place, a job, a place to live, and all these things will be yours as well. So I could ask you, how much kingdom building are you doing with your wife, with your husband, or with your family? As a unit, how are you doing? So have a plan for your family as well as for each other. You know, a wife expects her husband to lead. And I've never run into a woman who was looking for a weak man. You know, in our society of trying to, to make all men effeminate and less than they should be, I want to emphasize this very strongly to us men. Women are not looking for weak men. They're just not. They, you know, you might think that from listening to some of this nonsense going on. They're not looking for men that don't pray. And I guarantee that they're not praying. Young women are not praying to themselves. Yahweh, give me a wimp. Make him stupid. Make him slow. Make him a coward. Give me a failure. He's there, I guarantee you that women are not looking for that. So don't be that. And she, once you marry someone, she don't want to, you don't want her praying, Yahweh, would you just light a fire under this man? She'd like to marry somebody that knows how to go out and make a living, goes to work, and is not lazy. You know, there's, there's so many lazy people in the world anymore. That's, what's wrong. That's half of what's wrong with our nation. You know, women actually dream about men who are courageous and responsible. And a man of faith who can say, follow me. Paul wrote, husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved the assembly. He gave us a pretty heavy toy. He also said, and gave his life. That's how we are to be with our wives. We are to be able, willing and able to take it to the step of even giving our lives up for our, for our family and for our wife. And at the same time, a man wants a woman who can direct and take charge of his home. A man's responsibility, I believe, is to provide, and a woman's responsibility is her home. And there's many women that today take care of their home as well as work outside the home. And I would think that that's not the very best thing that's, that can happen, but sometimes that is what we're stuck with. 
Sometimes that's what we have to do. And women are so much more talented in so many ways than we are. You know, we're kind of a one-track horse. We just can barely do one thing at a time. I guess you women have noticed that. But women can do several things at the same, very same time. That's why they make us great uh, helpmates, because they know how to do so much. It's like if we decide if we're going to do some, de some decorating in our house, we drive a nail on the wall and hang a dead animal on it and call it decorated. That's how Texas men do. But women can spend a few hours moving furniture and hanging curtains and making a room beautiful. You know, women are special with children. You know, men are a lot of times much more abrupt and blunt. We don't have as patience, it seems, and maybe because we're just not trying hard enough in some ways. But women are usually uh, also has the other side of that equation when the children are involved. They're, they're caring and they're, they listen and they'll do things that the men seem like they don't ever get around to doing. But women do so many things, and they, they are incredible at what they do. And I am uh, absolutely amazed at all the things they know how to do better than men do. And, but we all have a place. If you read through the scriptures, you find out after a while that each one of us have a place so that the family is secure and the family grows as it should. Titus 2 and 3 through 5 says, Bid the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanders or slave to drink. They are to teach what is good and to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, chaste, domestic, kind, and submissive to their husbands, that the word of Yahweh may not be discredited. So men, when you read this, when it says submissive to their husbands, uh, so many times in the past, people have taken that completely wrong and they've decided that that means uh, subjected to their husband or under, under his authority to the point that he rules them with a rod of iron. That is not a, anything like what that means. It just means that in a home setting, Yahweh has directed that the man should be the spiritual leader in his home and that she should be beside him as they train and raise their children. And uh, she should also do be in concert with him, not in opposition to him. That's what it means. And sometimes they have to be in opposition to us because we're out of line. We're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes they moderate what we do because they'll come and say, hey, this is not going to work. My wife is very clear sometimes telling me something's not going to work. And it don't work usually when she tells me. But uh, we have a part to play in the family. And... So this is what the scripture says. The 
we should, that the women should be careful to do, that they should love their husband and love their children. But it takes great skill to care for a home and to do all the things. I mean, they're like a, they're working way more at what they do, it seems like, than what we do. But men, it don't, it's, does not hurt to help out around the house. If you don't do that, then you're putting an undue burden on the wife that you have married and, and have told her that, that you're the perfect woman to be in my home. And then you don't help her out in that home. That will not work. So I would ask again, what is the larger vision you and your spouse has given yourself to? And how would you rate yourself from one to five? Are you sort of aimless? Or have you set a path for Yahweh? And that's what y'all in your family are striving to do. Your children is the next topic I'd like to speak with speak with you about. Harold Hendricks once said, nothing can be worse for a marriage than building it on children. And nothing can be worse for children than a marriage built on them. And that is exactly true. You know, you may have seen couples uh, get off track because they don't agree on how to make their children a priority. Some make their children the centerpiece of the family to the point that the, the husband or wife is ignored and just the, the kids is the only thing that matter. And that don't work. And then on the other side, there's, there's those that one parent may maybe just kind of walks away from his responsibility and leaves it with the woman to do and take care of. And that won't work either. But I'd ask you to do the math on a, just a normal family, say, say you get married at the age of 22. And say over the next six years, you have three kids, maybe two years apart. And you raise them till they're 18 years old. And that will make you 46 years old. So what are you gonna do with the rest of your life at 46? What if you live to be 86? That's another 40 years. So I just ask you, what are you going to do with all that life if you're, all your aspirations and hopes were set on your children and they've left and they've got lives of their own and they don't pay you too much mind, you know? That's just the way life goes. At some point in time, you are the very center of their world. But Yahweh hadn't set it up to stay that way. He set it up so that at some point in time, they move on and then their children are the center of then they are the center of their children's world for a time. And then it moves on, and after a time, you're not that important. And I don't mean to minimize the, the role of a grandparent, because that is a, that you can talk to a grandchild and say things that their own parents can't tell them. And you should. But at the same time, think about that you need to spend, you need the, that friend that you made or never made in your spouse is very important now after your children are gone. 
So as this man said, you do not build a home on your children. That's, a, that's not good for them either. Yeah, every once in a while you see a home that a child has taken over the place. It's like the parents don't have enough sense to raise a child and this, place, this person has taken over the place. Or perchance you adopt someone and someone else has raised them to the point and now you're trying to curve them and move them into how a child should act and be and it's not working. But sometimes you just see that, that a child has taken over the whole home and every, they've disrupted everything. Nothing's working. And that's a whole different subject in how to rear children, I guess. But again, it's not wise that, and uh, one of the, Dennis Brager has a great talk about that, that uh, this is the first generation where the kids have become everything to some parents, they go to every, every time they breathe, they run up and make sure they exhale, you know. That's kind of what they do with some of the children of my day, of this day. Instead of letting them just have enough room to be children and have enough room to grow up, they're, they're helicopter parents. They just hover. So I hope that I'm not sounding a little too hard, but we do have to be very careful that we raise our children and spend all the time we can, but realize that at some point in time, they're going to grow up and they will not be here. And they'll be somewhere else. At about 15, they kind of check out, you know, and they start looking at their friends or their, their friends or their friends, not you. And so just know that's going to happen and know that you need to have a, you need to have some time for you and your spouse, even through all the, the craziness of raising children, you still need to spend time together. So when they're gone, it's not, you, you're not an oddity to each other. You still love each other. You still are friends. And you've been friends throughout all of that time. And as I said, believe it or not, one of the things your wife was thinking when she stood at the altar and she said, I do, she thought that you were going to help her around the house. Uh, you know, she expects you to help and to do chores and remove the fridge and fix the small leaks and carry the trash out. They might even want you to learn how to unload the dishwasher. Now, nobody as a husband, can load it right. <laughs> but any of us can unload it, you know, so you might try that side of it. Or when she drops a bottle of Tabasco sauce, you can clean it up for her, and it breaks on the kitchen floor. You know, Joanne did that the other day. <laughs> and I had a great opportunity to do what I've just said run over there and clean it up for her. And I didn't. And I said, Joanne, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel really bad now about it, but at the point, <laughs> at that time, it wasn't that pressing, it seemed like. <laughs> you know, there was this couple, uh, they were discussing Proverbs 31 woman. 
And by the way, a lot of you guys in here have a Proverb 31 woman, so y'all pay attention because some of the very best women in this whole county, state, nation are in this room. I want y'all to know that. But this man, he was, uh, he usually got up real early and went to work. She not so much. So he thought he would just uh, kind of mess with her a little bit and point out to her. So he said, well, Proverbs 31, 15, he said, he read it to her. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and her portions to her maidens. So he asked his wife, you know, when are you going to rise early and give food to your household? She said, she came right back. When are you going to give me some of those maidens? <laughs> but again, there are some women here that are 30, Proverbs 31 women. So as men, we should be so very thankful that women have decided to spend their entire life with us. I would, I would be very hesitant if uh, I was a woman and I wanted to ask them to spend their entire life with me. You know, if you think of it from that side, it's a little intimidating a little bit. So again, rate yourself on what priority you have with your children. And I want you to understand that I think children are the first priority that a man and woman should have in their family. But don't build your entire life on their lives. That's all I'm saying. I've got six things to go over today, and this is number six. Seven things today, this is number six. And that is humility. Have you ever thought about that the whole concept of marriage is built on the concept of humility, given to someone else more than you would take yourself? Ephesians 5 and 21 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Messiah. Philippians 2 and 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves, or regard your wife as more important than yourselves. Also, Romans 12 and 3, I bid everyone of, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Sometime in marriage, we get to be, we get to the point that we think way too highly of something we're doing and our spouse maybe not so much. So there's some humility in, in the very interaction we have between each other. Uh, I also have a, uh, I have a lot of books in my library and one of them is called How to Hug a Porcupine. And, you know, there's some people that are kind of like porcupines. You know, you have to learn how to, how to handle people that uh, are, are difficult. You know, one of the things in this book says, easy ways to love the difficult people in your life. So wives and husbands, try not to be a porcupine. You know, that's, that's hard to love. You know, to, if you want a friend, you have to be friendly, so to speak. 
But uh, if you would turn to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And this is, portions of this are oftentimes read at a wedding. So you might, I'll just read it again so we can, we can agree on what y'all agreed on when you got married maybe. We'll read it. We'll read down through maybe uh, verse nine. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have pathetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. And I'll stop that reading there, but that verse four through verse seven is a very difficult passage. If you want to be the kind of person that is speaking of there, you have to work very, very hard to be what it just said. I might read that again. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So, you know, just be careful when you're living life that uh, just be sure that you give proper humility to each other so each one has a, por a part and place in your marriage. So if they have the same right to, sp to speak and a voice and opinion that you do. So are you uh, way too proud or are you living in humility? I'd like for you to rate yourself on this from one through five. And my last uh, topic here, I don't mind the piano player, where's he? Aha, man, he's on point. Hey guys, I'd like for y'all to realize that uh, we have one of the super men of of uh, leading our worship team. And I'd like for everybody to give Walker a round of applause if you would. There's so much that happens behind the scenes that nobody knows ever happened. And uh, if you know musicians, they have 
they're, they're wonderful musicians, and each one of them has an ego almost. Almost. And Walker has found a way to live with them all. So. The last thing I'd like to speak about is repentance and forgiveness. Matthew says the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And also in the 12th chapter, 37, Yeshua said, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And uh, so often marriage counselors hears these words. We just don't communicate anymore. But I would point out to you that this is never true. This is absolutely never true. All couples communicate. The question is whether they communicate well or very poorly. Someone who turns and leaves the room in the middle of a discussion is communicating. And they're communicating very clearly. Someone who ignores the spouse and keeps watching TV or surfing the internet, they're talking loud and clear. Harsh words, raised voices, rolling your eyes, sadistic comments, being passive-aggressive tendencies. All of these things communicate, but in a destructive way. Something a little bit amusing was that this man, him and his wife got in an argument. It was pretty heavy and hot, and she left and went to her mom's home. And he called her and begged her to come home. And he told her, he said, I'm so miserable here without you. It's almost just like having you here. And that's sometimes how marriage gets it. There's so much going on and interaction and interfraction that you don't know whether you're having fun or you're not having fun. But it's been noted that you talk to people that you like and you like people who you talk to. So again, we're back to communication. Song of Solomon says, the woman says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. So communication is somewhat like fertilizer for friendship. So if you don't communicate well with your spouse, you will forget why you thought this person was so fascinating, so lovely. Such a wonderful person if you don't communicate and keep in touch with that communication. And as the proverb says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes we want to punish our spouse. But remember, Paul wrote that vengeance is mine. 
always said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. He, Paul wrote it, but he was quoting from the older writings. You know, in marriage, to some extent, we have to maintain a kind of formality and dignity of language so that we don't forever alienate somebody that, so that they won't even want to be with you again. There's some things, as I said before, that you never say. And I would encourage all to never use the word, what do you want, a divorce? Never inject that into any argument because now it becomes a possibility. And that is something you should never do if it's at all possible. Proverbs 12 and 18 says, There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So Yahweh wants us to respect each other so that we will forgive. Marriage is tough enough, and it would certainly be too tough to handle if somebody, if either party is not willing to forgive. Something else that you have to remember is when Yahweh, you know, we, we think that we're special in Yahweh's eyes. But think about the idea that your spouse is very special in Yahweh's eyes as well. Don't forget that. Yahweh loves your spouse. So don't let him be the only one that does. Matthew 6 and 12 said, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So respect and forgiveness are vital in marriage because it is an absolute certainty that you're going to hurt your spouse at some point. And you'll want that forgiveness. And your wife or your husband also will want that forgiveness as well. There is certain things in marriage that can be a deal breaker. You know, adultery or drug or alcohol abuse that sometimes leads to abuse of wife and children. There's physical abuse and threats of violence or physical harm, and usually it's by the husband. You know, some things can only be fixed by leaving. removing yourself from harm's way. But even then, for the health of the injured party, hopefully in time that you can forgive and move on. Even though the marriage may be over for your own health and your own mental state, you need to learn how to forgive. But without forgiveness, you know, Yahweh said that you will not be forgiven unless you forgive. And in a marriage, that is also true. We have to forgive if we expect to be forgiven. And as a last thought, you need to turn to your wife or your husband and you should say, 
I was wrong and I'm sorry. Just for practice, you know. Just for practice. You ought to just turn to him some point today and say, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Or you might have to say, would you forgive me? These words sometimes are not spoken in a marriage for years. Maybe never. Don't be like that. We need to have that maybe on a daily basis, but certainly we need it from time to time. And so we need to learn how to do that and humble ourselves. And our humility has to show in those circumstances. That's all I have today. May Yahweh bless you. Thank you so much.